0: Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast studio in Schenectady, New York. We have another great show for you this week. Later on, I'll be talking with Tri-City Valley Cast President Rick Murphy as he reflects on the passing of team owner Bill Gladstone and what the future entails for the Valley Cats not only this year, but beyond. And we'll talk with Adam Woden, managing editor of College Hockey News, about the stunning announcement last Thursday that Long Island University wants to start a Division I hockey program in the fall. But first, if you read last Sunday's Daily Gazette, it's still online at dailygazette.com. My first guest talked about possible scenarios. For the Saratoga racing season, and here is uh, Mike McGann to talk about that. Mike, uh, welcome back to the podcast.
1: Hey, it's been a while. How's everybody doing? <laughs> everybody hanging in there? I hope.
0: Yeah, we're doing great. You staying safe.
1: Yes, I am. Yeah. I'm barely. I'm going out of my house probably two or three. My apartment two or three times a week to get groceries, and
0: that's about it. Yeah, I while ba- hiking and running. Too. Yeah, I, I barely see you in the office. This is a rare public appearance for you.
1: <laughs> you know, I I thought it would be easier to do this in person, so you know, I I went out of my way. Uh, four minutes from my apartment to come into the
0: office. So. Well, I much appreciate it. Uh, let's talk about this, Mike. I mean, possible scenarios. I mean, there's you mentioned three of them. I'm, the one you're thinking is going to happen is the there's going to be racing, but no fans.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's so much that's still up in the air here. I mean, they haven't even started racing at Belmont yet, which was supposed to start on uh, April 24th, and they're still get, waiting for a go ahead. And that's kind of like the first domino that will um, start everything in, in the state of New York. Um, but in the meantime, let's assume that they do they are able to run a meet at Saratoga, which Naira does want to do, if possible, because they believe the brand is so strong that people will wager on, on Saratoga Racing, even though it's kind of the same stuff. As they will if they run the same meet at Belmont, um, which is why that's, that's their motivation to move the, the show up here for seven or eight weeks or whatever it would be um, under normal scheduling circumstances. So they've stayed, Martin Panzer, who's the director of racing down there, has uh, told the da- uh, Thoroughbred Daily News um, a month or so ago that they want to run at Saratoga if they can, even without fans, because the brand is so strong. Um, you know, another component of that is turf racing and not to get too granular, but they can't run turf racing, which is very popular and gets a lot of better handle. They just can't, they would, if they stayed at Belmont, let's, let's assume they start up like the end of May or something, which is a big assumption and just stay there like into September and October, the turf course won't be able to handle it. So, um, just for that reason alone, there's a reason that they would want to like move the show up here for a little while, um. But if they do have any kind of Saratoga meet, I, I just find it hard to believe that they're going to be able to do it in a way that will allow fans on the grounds, which would you know, be a heartbreaker for thousands and thousands of people. But I just don't have a lot of confidence right now, that, especially with the state of New York, that we're going to get to a point where, where that's going to be safe and doable.
0: As we speak here on this Wednesday, in fact, the Perfect Game, uh, Perfect Game Collegiate Baseball League just announced uh, on Wednesday that they're canceling their season. So we're seeing these dominoes fall uh with sports leagues and uh and still you know waiting with major league baseball to start up you gotta wonder is it realistic that they can actually pull this off at saratoga in july i think they can do it um but they need to show that they can do
1: it and they haven't had the opportunity to do that yet um they you know they've said that they have a rigorous safety plan and all extra protocols and just layer of protective you know um routines and stuff that they want to put in place at belmont but new york's a little behind the eight ball compared to some other states who are trying to open up you know phase in some opening up things um you know governor cuomo the other day came up with an outline of four phases and entertainment was number four on the list so a lot of other things are going to happen first before they allow racing in this state um, I will say that when he was asked about this last week, there was a question posed about canceling Saratoga. It was kind of a broad, general question, and he he answered in a way that. Get, and then I wrote this in the column. He gave me the impression that he he didn't he thought the possibility of running the Saratoga meet still existed, but he didn't see any. He, he couldn't imagine how you'd be able to let any fans on there on the grounds because. It, it, you know, the demand would be ridiculous. I mean, people are trying to do anything they can now. People would be swarming Saratoga in a normal year, but this year, if they open that thing up, you know, forget it. Um, so a lot of people interpreted what he said, that that, that he, he was predicting that the whole meet would be canceled, but, I, you know, I didn't read it that way, and I talked to somebody at Naira who kind of said was of the same opinion, that he he was he was answering a different question, but a lot of people took his answer um literally to mean that he 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 couldn't imagine how they could even run a saratoga meet um so i mean and that was kind of like a misunderstanding thing and there's a little bit of political stuff going on there um so they i mean i firmly believe that if they get up and running at belmont for maybe a month or whenever that happens um and demonstrate that they can do it safely there's a lot of potential you know they, they ought to be able to run at saratoga there's a lot of people that don't don't like that idea just because you're relocating a bunch of people from new york city you know we've already run into that issue a lot with you know initially like way back in february where people were from from the city were heading to the hills literally the adirondacks to get away from the epicenter of the the um pandemic and it was rubbing a lot of people up north the wrong way. And, then, you know, Saratoga people in Saratoga County, probably there's people that are sensitive to that as well, um, even if it's just a kind of to some degree self-contained population of the backstretch workers and the trainers. I mean, people are going to be out and about town, even if there's no fans. There's going to be, you know, the horsemen in town. And and so there, there will be a certain, you know, Kind of sub population that has to get relocated up here from the city, and not everybody's 100% comfortable
0: with that. Yeah. Even if they do decide to race at Saratoga and with no fans. It's still gonna. I mean, I can't imagine the economy of Saratoga Springs is gonna be profiting from this. I mean, it's got to. It's gonna really hurt them.
1: Uh, well, I mean, if they can run the meet with fans, is better than running, not running a meet at all. I mean, they're so desperate right now because this is like a huge chunk of the city and the county's economy in any given year. And if you remove it entirely, they're really going to be in in a bad way. I mean, there's restaurants and hotels that. that, that, you know, I you can make the comparison, it's like a boa constrictor that eats a a deer or something and feeds off of it for six months and doesn't have to eat another meal. You know, a lot of businesses up there are kind of in in that dynamic when it comes to the meat, and so if they could run a meat and, you know, with with the horsemen in town and the backstretch workers and whatever, it's better than nothing, um, I think is probably the way they're looking at it. uh, but, man, they're going to take a hit no matter what.
0: Have you had a chance to talk to some horse racing fans and get the sense of how they're feeling right now?
1: Not really, and it's still I mean, you see some things on Twitter where people are, you know, and a lot of people feel that Cuomo is hostile towards racing in general, um, which puts anybody who's a fan of the sport in a bad position, you know, to, to begin with. Um, I think he's more indifferent, and judge, judging from his answer the other day, he you know, he, he seemed a little... Um, Clueless that you could even run the meet without fans, which you know tracks have been. There's tracks all over the country right now. That not a lot of them, but um, some of them have been able to pull it off and and maintain racing. Um, but most of the stuff you see on Twitter, yeah, I mean, right. You know, the immediate uh, heartbreak is that there was no Derby on Saturday, so you saw a lot of you saw more of that right now than the Saratoga reaction. Um, I did get a couple emails um, in reaction to my column. Um, one woman who kind of, we already touched on this point, she said it, it seems pointless to bring all those people up here and, you know, risk um, bringing, bringing the virus up here with a lot of people from New York City relocating and to what benefit financially. Um, but all the powers that be in Saratoga in the county and city seem they still want to meet even if there's no fans. Um, so, again, they they'll, they'll take whatever they can get. So...
0: Yeah, you mentioned the uh, Kentucky Derby, obviously not running. Uh, a story appeared Wednesday in the Baltimore Sun. There was reported from a TV station down there that the, the pre is going to be moved to October third. That's being denied at the moment. This Triple Crown schedule is going to be kind of strange. I mean, there's really been no announcement about the Belmont Stakes uh, if that's going to be rescheduled. Uh, you know, how crazy is, is it going to be seeing a, maybe a Triple Crown that's not going to run in order?
1: That would not be the worst thing that could happen that's not even the worst scenario and if you go back in the history like 150 years or so there have been some quirky years back in the day where they didn't actually run it in the order that it's current been running now for you know many decades of course um and the spacing has been different so it hasn't there has been some fluidity to the triple crown schedule people will (laughs) they'll live (laughs) you know they'll be okay if there's some kind of weird you know mix up with the schedule as long as there's racing now I was just trying to chart the various um, rescheduled things but also a lot of the stuff that's still in a holding pattern on a sheet of paper here and it almost looks like a football play you know like a Statue of Liberty double reverse thing where there's arrows and and you know as it stands right now we can't figure out the positioning of the Belmont Stakes until they can't even really talk about it until they actually start racing there again because I mean what if we get into the middle of June before they start racing it at, at Belmont then what do you do with the Belmont? Um, the three options for the Preakness that exist are October 3rd which the TV station reported but apparently the Stranach Group denied that there's been any set rescheduling of the Preakness and it could happen in July or September, which is two other curves. No matter where it is, it's going to be a curveball for for everybody else. Um, you know, now the Haskell is in in July. Um, the Santa Anita Derby they want to run, but they're still not sure. They want to open up Santa Anita in California next week, but they still haven't gotten approval for that. They've written a condition book and everything, just so that when if they get the green light, then Horsemen know you know where to spot their horses you know keeneland still has the you know if some anything happens with them in kentucky we could see the the, you know canceled bluegrass showing up somewhere on the on the radar um churchill downs is scheduled to open next week um uh so there's like it's like a game of pickup sticks or something where you throw it on this mess on the floor and, and start pulling sticks out and and you know each one kind of affects the other and and you don't want the whole thing to collapse but you 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 know you want to find some resolution at some point with the schedule but boy it it, you know a, a lot of it depends on when new york is allowed to race again and then a lot of things can start falling into place um you know nbc is a is a broadcast partner for the triple crown races they have some say in in how how the schedule shakes out a little bit so it's it's multifactorial and there you know between Santa Anita and Belmont Park if we could get them up and running that that would at least put it put us in a position to start answering some questions but right now it's really foggy there you know there's a couple things we know like the Kentucky Derby is September 5th but everything else is is just kind of waiting and waiting yeah.
0: As you mentioned, NBC has Notre Dame football, the home games that they televised, so that's also going to factor into how they're going to be able to, you know, get this Triple Crown broadcasted on the network.
1: It really is, and if, the, you know, if they have some say in the matter, you know, I don't know how you could piggyback those two events. Maybe you could figure out a way to do that somehow, but that's like you know, that's a huge thing for them in the fall, and suddenly, you know, the, the normal spacing of things of the seasons and sports and everything kind of you know works for everybody but now you're tr- throwing not only are you trying to put like round pegs into square holes but you're trying to put like eight round pegs into two square holes and, and it's, so there's really a you know it's, it's really um a tough log jam to, to sort out and still you don't you don't even know where the logs are supposed to go yet either so
0: Kentucky Derby, as you mentioned, going to be in September, which leads to the question, what's going to happen with the Travers if you know, Saratoga runs? because Travers is usually that last Saturday in August.
1: Yeah, I mean, assuming the Saratoga meet runs, the, the Travers w- will have to move, and it would have to move earlier because no one's going to run in the Travers if it's on top of the Derby, for one thing. I mean and you're going to have to move it at least two, at least three weeks earlier, um, like the beginning of the meet, beginning of August. Um, one thing, back to the Belmont. Um, if they the Belmont's scheduled for June sixth, right now. Let's say they r- run it a week or so late because they get a late start. They're going to have to change the distance of the Belmont because it's a mile and a half. No one is going to run a mile and a half in June or early July or whatever it winds up being if they want to. Have a good horse for the Kentucky Derby, running a mile and a quarter on September 5th. I mean, so that that, you know that's another little monkey wrench in there. But the Saratoga meet is, you know, that's a whole separate jigsaw puzzle. And I've said this before: it's not just the Derby. You know, the, the Derby week, Churchill Downs runs a ton of Grade One, very prominent stakes races in other divisions like turf and sprint and stuff. So you're you're really affecting the whole graded stakes horse population, not just the three-year-olds that are targeting triple crown races. And that has trickle-down effect to Saratoga because they run races like that every weekend. So that, I've said it before, it's like it's like moving Jupiter from the middle of the solar system to like between Earth and mars or whoever's next in line (laughs) and and then having the solar system you know kind of reconfigure itself you know with all the different gravitational pull going on so um it's like a it's a mess right now and again the 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 two key things the the primary thing is when can new york start racing again and i mean it's not smelling like it's gonna be in the next couple weeks who knows maybe something will happen and Cuomo will have her change of heart, but you know they, they need to open up some other things first to, and, you know, to get in, into that phasing in um, outline and, uh, before they can even think about Belmont Park. I just might read on it. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, Mike, appreciate you coming into the uh, Parting Shots podcast studio to talk some horse racing. You can follow Mike on Twitter at Mike underscore McIntyre. Mike, appreciate you coming in.
1: Thanks. Uh, maybe we can be on in a couple more weeks after we get some of these things figured out, but Until it happens, who knows?
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. Crazy times here. Uh, Thanks again, Mike. Uh, Coming up, uh, Rick Murphy, president of the Tri-City Valley Cats, to talk about the life of Bill Gladstone. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox. Hi, this is Mark Kestisher, the voice of the NBA on ESPN Radio and proud member of the 518 from Gilderland High School. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Shot. Now, here's Ken. Welcome back to the podcast. My next guest is the president of the Tri-City Valley Cats, and he's been around this area for, gosh, it feels like almost 20 years. Uh, it's Rick Murphy. Rick, uh, welcome to the podcast. Good afternoon, Ken. It's a pleasure to be here. We appreciate you coming on. Uh, one of the main reasons why I haven't you on here the podcast is, uh, you know, the unfortunate news last Friday that uh, the chairman and principal owner of the team, Bill Gladstone, uh, passed away at the age of 88, with complications of uh, the coronavirus. What did Bill mean to this organization?
2: Well, Bill is the bloodline of the Valley Cats. I mean, as the principal owner, he was instrumental in negotiating a deal. Um, at that time, with, with Senator Joe Bruno and John Buneau, um the president of Hudson Valley Community College and uh, the, the county of, of Rensselaer, to um, to build a stadium on the campus of the Hudson Valley Community College that became the home of the Valley Cats, and to bring professional baseball back to the Capital Region after it had left uh, affiliated professional baseball after the Albany County Yankees had left the market. So, um, you know, in Bill's you know impact on on the Valley Cat brand indelible. I mean, he left a mark on the baseball community and obviously the Valley Cat organization.
0: What attracted him to Troy? Uh, I mean, obviously, Pittsfield a nice small town, but obviously the, the facilities there probably weren't the best. But what attracted uh, him to Troy? Well, when we were in Pittsfield, we
2: were affiliated with the Pittsfield Mets, and then uh, and the Mets obviously good vertically integrated, and, and they built a facility down in Brooklyn. So our relationship with the Mets was going to end because the Willpons had purchased the short season A franchise. So at that time, we had um, reached out to uh, Jerry Huntsinger, who we met through um, the Mets, you know, in our affiliation with the Mets, and he was the uh, general manager of the Houston Astros at the time. Knowing that the Astros had a team in the New York Penn League. And Bill, you know, Bill was all about relationships. Uh, business was about relationships. They were long-term relationships. Um, hence, the motto for the Valley Cats was to create fans for life. And Bill firmly, you know, he firmly believed that in order for us to be successful, we had to have long-term business relationships and had to be an integral part of the community. So Bill reached out to Jerry Huntsiger and we were able to um, sign a PDC, with the Houston Astros. Well, also at that time, Major League Baseball, ironically enough, had um, came, come up with some some facility upgrades that they had built into Rule 54 of the Professional Baseball Agreement. And Lacona Park in Pittsfield just was not going to satisfy those requirements. And the conversation started in the community about building a new facility um, in Pittsfield it went to a referendum vote. It got voted down by the community. So Bill and, um, you know, myself, we started to say, well, geez, where where would, um, you know, what market would be good for the New York Penn League? And we knew that, that the Capital Region had a, you know, had professional baseball, um, and it was a double-A market. And geographically, you know, it was only 50 miles away from, our current home in Pittsfield, and you know, six miles outside of the capital of, of the state of New York, and it, it checked all the boxes. And, and and you know, Bill reached out to, to Joe Bruno, and uh, let's just say the rest was history.
0: Yeah. Uh, did what did he have any doubts, or was he confident that this uh, would succeed at bringing affiliated baseball back to the capital region, even though it was a short season?
2: We felt that um, you know, in a new facility, because we had been in a facility that was built in the, the early 1900s in Pittsfield, and as historic as Wakona Park is um, and was, it, it just operationally the fan experience just wasn't you know what you could offer in a new facility, and um, not only from the from the off the field amenities, but the on the field playing surface and how. Future major leaguers could develop. So we felt as though, um, in a new facility, in a market, you know, if you draw 35 mile, within a 35 mile radius, I mean, you have three quarters of a million people, um, you know, that, that would allow us, um, you know, if we could draw 4,000 fans a game, um, we would have a chance of being extremely successful in the marketplace.
0: How, how proud was he of this organization's success in this region I mean it's been consistent ever since uh, 2002
2: Bill was extremely happy I mean when we developed the business plan um, before we came over to the capital region um, you know we figured if we could average three thousand plus fans a game then we could we could make it work and um, you know it seemed like Periodically, Bill and I would be sitting, you know, at the stadium, and we'd be looking at each other, saying, "Boy, you know, we oftentimes." And you know, Bill was a seasoned business person. You know, having run Ernst and Young, I mean, he knows that oftentimes, you know, you draw up a business plan and a strategy, and you know, sometimes it just doesn't work out. And you know, we looked at each other and said, "You know, we drew, we drew it up this way, and it's actually playing out how we drew it up and what we thought." So you know, congratulations. So we would congratulate each other. And, you know, it makes you feel good.
0: So, What was he like to work for?
2: I, I mean, the thing I would say about Bill Gladstone is he's a man of integrity. Um, he was a great mentor. I mean, he got involved where he thought he could help based on his business experience, and he let me in the front office run the franchise um you know, we, He allowed us to put our own, have our own impact on the business operation. That way we could grow and develop. He basically put together the parameters. And one thing that Bill Gladstone, and, and you know this from being at the ballpark, is that he was a true baseball fan, and he respected the game of baseball. And he said, Rick, no matter what we do on the entertainment side, as long as we don't interfere with the integrity of the game, We've all been to other minor league parks, and we know that promotion supersedes baseball, and you have to do certain things to entertain the crowd on the promotional side. But he was a firm believer that if baseball allows you two minutes between innings, you stick to two minutes of entertainment. Don't go any longer than that. Don't interfere with the integrity of the game. If the game's supposed to start at 7 o'clock, start at 7 o'clock. He also said to our front office that we are making a commitment and we want these players to remember the Capital Region. A lot of times it was their first professional experience, and he definitely wanted that to be a favorable one. And there's nothing more satisfying than to talk to players that have come through the Capital Region and they you know, speak so fondly of, of their time that they spent and how engaged the ownership group was in particular Bill and Millie Gladstone, and Bill was at every game, and he would, you know, I would say, not occasionally, more than occasionally, would go into the manager's office and just, you know, talk baseball. And it, it, you, you know, you don't always get that at the minor league level.
0: The times, I you know, was over. I've been over at the, at the Josephsville Bruno Stadium. Uh, the times I had a chance to, you know, you know say hi to to Bill, he just. He seemed like a very humble individual. Not doesn't never put on airs, never uh, showboated. He was just a very quiet, humble, and a, a, a nice in, a nice man to be around.
2: Absolutely. I mean, for if you look at his accomplishments, you, you would say, "Wow, what a full life!" And he's highly accomplished in the business world, and you know he made his mark in, in the business world, and. He also made his mark in the baseball world. I mean, you know, to be on the the board of directors of the Baseball Hall of Fame, um, he and Millie had a a world-renowned collection of of baseball art. I mean, this guy, Bill Gladstone, was baseball through and through. I mean, he, he, you know, he got hooked on when he was a kid in Brooklyn. And um, I'll tell you what, it, it was contagious. I mean, to see the amount of excitement that he would get and the Valley Cats won a game. I mean, that was price that was worth the price of admission, even though I didn't have to pay because I was working. <laughs>
0: yeah. How will the organization honor him?
2: That's a good question. I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty, um, you know, as we as we're we're looking at the upcoming season, but we'll definitely do something that that uh, that honors Bill Gladstone. Um, when Millie Gladstone passed away, we had a patch. On the players' uniforms, um, that's something that, that we're we're talking about. Um, obviously, opening day will be um, there'll be a tribute to Bill, um, but the details we're still working on. I mean, it's still in a, you know in, in the planning stages. But there's no question that 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 you know Section 100 won't be the same without Bill and Millie Gladstone. But we'll make sure that, that we uh, we do Bill just
0: yeah. Speaking of the season, um, here we are uh, taping this on May 6th, of Wednesday, just over a month away from the start of the season. Of course, we're in the middle of this pandemic, a lot of uncertainty going on. Uh, can you update us on what the New York Penn League plans are at this point?
2: Uh, typically, I mean, we're, we're on weekly conference calls with the league um, to get updates. Um, as of right now, you know, the season is scheduled as usual, as normal, I should say. Um, we are typically waiting to hear word from MLB in terms of what their decision comes down to in terms of how they're going to start, when they're going to start. And obviously that has an impact on the player side of it, on field. So, so we're closely monitoring that. I would surmise that within the next couple of weeks we'll get some clarity to the uncertainty. Um, and then the other side of it, obviously, is the state of New York and, you know, listening to the governor. And, and the one thing that we want, Ken, is to make sure that whatever we do, um, you know, that the environment's safe and that we're complying with all of the CDC's recommendations in the state of New York to make sure that we're um, creating the safest environment. Um, for our fans we want to create a memorable experience and that needs to be positive so um, we're working through some some plans whether you know the state comes to us and say we have to reduce the capacity and you know how we we deal with crowd control and how the flow is working through um, you know making sure that the the stadium sanitized I mean these are all things that are ongoing but as far as the status of, of the season, um, you know, we're doing a lot of the back of the house stuff so that for us in our front office, you know, we could probably get the facility up and running um, if we have some clarity by June 1st. Mm-hmm. But we are planning as though um, we are playing. Um, this is uh, uncharted water, so to speak. People have n- not been through um this, you know, business cycle and, and understanding what we need to do. So uh, a lot of it changes, and, and you know, and once we get clarity, um, you know, obviously we'll, we'll pass it on to, to our partners and to the media.
0: Now the future beyond this year, is obviously a lot of reports out there, but minor league baseball is going to contract by as many as 40 teams, and several New York Penn League teams are going to be left out of this uh, in the reorganization there's talk about the Valley Cats moving to a different league and playing a full season. Uh, what can you tell us about what's going on with this? What, what you're reading in the
2: papers and, and from the various news outlets is, is pretty much the information that, that I'm getting. Um, the minor leagues have, have, have a negotiating committee, the major leagues have a negotiating committee. Some of that stuff leaks out. Um, what's accurate and what's not? Um, you know, I'm not privy to, to that stuff. Um, all I'm told is is that negotiations are ongoing, and once we have clarity, um, we will communicate that with the various franchises. Um, if if the plan that was presented or written about, I should say, um, that that they're saying that they're going to contract and short season A's may be affected, then. I think the future of the New York Penn League would be affected. Um, I would say that the Tri-City Valley Cats and the facility and the market and the operation that that we've been able to to put forth over the previous 18 years would put us in a pretty good um, position to keep affiliated baseball in the capital region in the future. Yeah.
0: It's going to be an interesting ride the next couple, obviously, with this year and beyond. We'll be, obviously, following it and uh, see what happens with the Valley Cats. Uh, Rick, appreciate a few minutes to talk about uh, Bill Gladstone. He's, like you said, a wonderful man, and uh, he will be missed over there at, at the Joe.
2: Thank you, Ken.
0: Yes, absolutely, and I thank you for the time today. That's right. Thank you, Rick. That's Rick Murphy, team president of the Valley Cats. Coming up, we'll have Adam Woden, managing editor of the College Hockey News, as we talk about a surprising announcement in college hockey. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Castbox. Hi, this is Ken Schott, Associate Sports Editor of the Daily Gazette and host of the Parting Shots podcast. The coronavirus has affected many American lives. To help prevent the spread of the coronavirus, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention have the following tips. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue, then throw the tissue in the trash. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects and surfaces. Stay home when you are sick, except to get medical care. And finally, wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. For more information, go to www.cdc.gov COVID-19. Follow the Daily Gazette's continuing coverage of the coronavirus online at dailygazette.com and in the print edition. Welcome back to the podcast. And last Thursday, the college hockey world was stunned when uh, Long Island University announced that it was going to start a D1 uh, men's hockey program beginning in the 2020-2021 season, which is uh, kind of a short notice uh, for uh, a program to get going here and uh, to talk about his reaction to it and a lot of the college hockey reaction to it is uh, managing editor of College Hockey News, Adam Woden. Uh, Adam, good to talk to you. It's been a while since we chatted.
3: Yeah, well, that's <laughs> what happens when uh, hockey ends in March.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, how stunned were you? Because I mean, this really just came out of the blue. I mean, we've been hearing about Illinois, Navy, maybe Rutgers, but Long Island University, where did that come from?
3: <laughs> yeah, it came from the air mind of the athletic director there, I suppose. Uh, you know, as I pointed out in my piece on College Hockey News, I just I think. Uh, mostly, I mean, he seems like a really great guy, but I think it mostly is a function of just being naive about what exactly he's getting himself into. <laughs> so, you know, as I mentioned also in that article, like you know, they didn't even know. No one knew about it because normally you would you would have you would go to. College Hockey Inc., which is the uh, marketing arm for College Hockey and does a lot of prep work, helps schools out in terms of research and, and planning this kind of thing. And so it kind of get around that they were at least exploring it. Uh, they, they didn't go to them, and it's, it's not so much that avoiding College Hockey Inc. will hurt them in some way. It's more the indication that they didn't even know that that was the, the path to take. You know what I mean? It's, it's more of a symbol uh, of their, I guess, naivete on the, on the whole process.
0: Yeah, I mean, they did have did did have a women's program uh, last year, started this uh, this past season, but I mean, were they maybe thinking that okay, we that was easy enough to start, we can easily start a men's program?
3: I think so. I mean, you know, and there's a lot of differences. Obviously, I mean, you know, uh, some of them are obvious, but uh, they're also that 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 team has of a ready-made Division One slash Division Two group of schools to form a conference with, you know, that were kind of hanging out there in women's hockey, uh, you know, the way that the old, uh, the old, old uh, ECAC <laughs> Division Two, II, Three used to be, and so you know, plus their expenses are lower. Uh, the, the whole ecosystem of women's hockey is not tied into the whole thing with juniors and preps and NHL and drafts and that kind of thing. So it's uh, it's a different animal. But also, I think more so than just the women's is that they've started a number of other programs in the last bunch of years. You know, they about, uh, I don't know what it was, four or five years ago, they merged campuses with
0: You mentioned it. You mentioned in your co- column that you learned that the budget for the coaches will be around one hundred fifty thousand dollars annually. That's not. That's not just the head coach. That's for all the coaching <laughs> staff. How in the hell can they work on a budget like that?
3: Yeah, I know. I mean, someone will do it, I guess. But I mean, whether it's actually someone who will, you know, uh, be respected enough to draw players, and I don't you know, it's going to take a lot of uh, labor.
0: Club team, a men's club team, right? So I mean, if you had a club team, at least, I mean, sort of like what Penn State and Arizona State, of course, they were had, you know, financial backing, but at least those schools had a, had, had a club team where you could, you know, start using those guys and recruit, you know, other players. But not even, not to even have a club team and expect to start a, uh, start a program in, in short months. It's, that's, right. it's it really, it's crazy. No, I mean, remember when we when Arizona. They started. And we were saying how they were going too fast, mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> you know, because they, you know, they had a club team and a club coach, and they didn't really do a coaching search. The great power just took go. Recall, we call, they all kind of uh, raised their eyebrows. But the time turned out to be a pretty decent pick uh, to just let him continue to be the coach. He's done a good job. But uh, they didn't have an arena. They didn't have all, you know, necessarily the plans in place that Penn State had. But they are a forty thousand student, you know, school, a huge money in their athletic program already so you know they, they had plenty of money and it, and it turned out fine for them but that was even a little quick I mean this is even crazier no club team to drop me you are starting from scratch for players and hoping to have a team I, you know, I asked them I was like how do you even get players enrolled you know usually they the deadline for that is like May 1st at most schools <laughs> they didn't even make the announcement then so uh, they do have some sort of rolling admissions I guess where they can finagle that in but it's going to be crazy. I mean, people are, are, are calling them now, I guess, E3 players and uh, guys and juniors who never never made it to college yet, and there's no, not even a coach they can talk to.
0: Yeah, Here's the other problem, obviously, with what's going on with the uh, coronavirus pandemic. I mean, they, they can't recruit. Obviously, all the recruiting shut down for, the, for all the coaches right now in Division I, so how can they even hire a coach and he can't really recruit?
3: Right, right. No, I know it's uh, it. It's it pretty. <laughs> you, you know, it, it, there's some of these problems they're reporting out are, are fairly obvious. I guess <laughs> they weren't obvious to them. I don't know. You know, I just I feel like they just said, well, you know, we'll we'll just put our another team out there like we did with everybody else, and they'll figure it out over time. And that may be true that they will figure it out over time. But why bother? What what was the point really? of yeah. Saying we want to play in the fall. You know what I mean? Uh, it's it's almost like a waste year that they, 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 maybe they get off the hook because of the whole uh, pandemic situation. Because <laughs> I don't know if anybody's going to be playing this year, uh, let alone you know before January, maybe, but um, or after January. But yeah, so uh, maybe that gets them off the hook. But uh, it's I don't I don't know what the rush was. You know, I, I, like I said, I think I don't think there's anything nefarious there. I just think that the the guy, the athletic director. There just
0: Here's the other thing. I mean, they don't they really don't have a place to play. Uh, but are they maybe looking at the new rink that's being built at uh, Belmont Park, where the Islanders are going to play? That maybe they get that could be a home site for them.
3: No, oh, That would be really. I mean, you know, how many how many teams play in a building like that? Uh, you know, they could play in the Coliseum if it's still there. I don't know if it's going to be or not. Uh, it might be. I might. They might keep it there, and put an AHL team and move to from Bridgeport—that's possible. But uh, I mean, that would be kind of crazy. I'm sure they'll play a game. Last year, the women's team played two games there against Wisconsin, got thoroughly clobbered, ten twelve nothing and 10-2 or something like that. And uh, but uh, you know, I guess for every now and then to have a game there is fine. But yeah, there, there's that. That I think is the biggest uh, thing here. Like that they're you know all the other things stuff sounds crazy, but even worse is that if you really want to be a D one program, you know, you're going into it with like no better than one thousand seat bleacher facility that's a practice rink for the islanders, uh, to play with no plans. You know, at least in Arizona State, they always had plans for it, it hasn't happened yet. But that that was always the idea, you know, once yeah. they could get the money together. Um, you're, you're, there's no, there's no, not even a plan for that at this point. So, uh, or even a, you know, they're not even talking about that as 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 something they want to do down the road. They're just they're just going into it, you know. Oh, everything be damned. <laughs> I
0: mean, I mean they have got to play as an independent. I mean, what conference would take me? I, I, you know, don't see hockey east Atlantic hockey no. is probably not going to happen because if, if Navy eventually becomes a uh, Division One hockey, they'll they'll be in Atlantic. They'll give them a twelve team league, I don't think yeah. ECAC is uh, in the mix at this point, so where, where would they go? No, no, I mean, that was, again, I,
3: I really was trying to be nice to the guy, but he really seemed like a super good guy and whatnot, but I mean, you know, the, just judging by what he's saying, well, you know, we're in the Northeast Conference, Then Hockey East has some of those teams, they will fit in there, i like, dude, you're not, you're not fitting in Hockey East, man, <laughs> you know, you got a long way to go for that, so. Um, that's not going to happen anytime soon. So I just you know getting a schedule together is going to be very difficult for next season. Let alone I, I had someone say, say to me that you know they were called about their, you know their schedule and and they thought they were talking about twenty twenty one twenty two, and they said and they told them at that point that it'll be very difficult. And then when the guy told them, no for this fall, like what? <laughs> if that's even you know ten times more difficult to get it. So uh, and then the other thing someone pointed out to me too is. Um, you know, I said they don't have a coach, they don't have players, they don't have a conference, they don't have rink. They also don't have any equipment. Yeah. Uh, the, the, you know, hockey equipment is, is not easy to come by right now because of the uh, a lot of it's made in China. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, getting, you know, some teams were having difficulties even while they were playing last February, uh, getting sticks. Um, so, right now, that's going to be an issue, and, and, you know, and those. Hundred thousand dollar operating budget is nothing when it comes to hockey. You're going to blow well past fifty percent of that on ice time.
0: Yeah. I mean, you've been. I've been following your tweets, and uh, you mentioned earlier about, you know, are we going to see a season or maybe an abbreviated season? I mean, how pessimistic are you about at this point with uh, seeing a uh, 2021 season?
3: You know, I have no insider information, uh, so I'm just going by sort of logic. Um, and I think that, you know, everyone likes to call me Mr. Doom and Gloom, but I think that's just because my mind is used to wrapping itself around horrible things. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's it's certainly not that I'm rooting for. Just, I think most people understandably have trouble, you know, admitting or coming to terms with the fact that certain bad things can happen. So they keep putting it off, putting it up. You know, I had friends that, you know, they have tickets to like six different concerts this summer already. I'm like, yeah, are not going to any of them, you know. But they're like, well, they haven't canceled it yet, you know, and then next week they cancel the next one, the next week they cancel the next one. I'm like, dude, you should just have wrapped your mind around this a month ago that you're not going to any of them. Yeah. Because, you know, this way you're not disappointing yourself every week. Uh, and that's the way I feel about the, uh, the college hockey season. I mean, there's just no, I don't see a path or any normalcy on campus. I, you know, I have two kids in college now, and I'm just hoping they get to go to campus at all in the fall. But I, you know, I find that to be doubtful at, at this time. And um, without that, obviously, there's no sports. So, you know, I guess so. I, I guess theoretically, you could.
0: Obviously extend the you know, season into maybe late mid mid to late April this time around or you maybe see a frozen four in May. Get through as best we can. Hopefully, you know, come fall we'll actually have some college hockey. But uh, Adam, appreciate a few <laughs> minutes uh, talking about this, uh, like this stunning news that we got last week. And uh, we, we're not, you know, we'd like to see college hockey span, which is what this yeah. was a team we weren't expecting.
3: <laughs> no, I, I said the thing. I mean, yeah, I said I think maybe I've heard from people was kind of imminent. That's uh, the word I was hearing. I heard it from a couple places. Imminent, whatever yeah. that meant. Yeah. So, all that's on hold now. But, uh, you know, let's hope maybe in a year or two, I don't know, we get back to normal. We'll see Navy in Illinois, (laughs) and that'll be uh, something to celebrate. Yeah.
0: So, Adam, appreciate a few minutes. Uh, Stay safe down there in the Delaware Valley, Pennsylvania. All right, man, you too. All right, thanks. That's Adam Woodham, managing editor of College Hockey News, back to wrap up the podcast in just a moment. I'm Dr. Howard Zucker, New York State's Health Commissioner. I'm calling on all New Yorkers to do their part to slow the spread of coronavirus. Everyone, even young people and those who feel well, stay home. If you must go outside, stay six feet from others. This will ensure everyone who needs hospital care can get it. This virus spreads even without symptoms. Stay home and stay safe. Be a part now so we can all be together later. Stay informed at health.ny.gov coronavirus. to wrap up the podcast keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic i want to thank all the doctors nurses and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic we appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time that wraps up another edition of the parting shots podcast i'd like to thank mike McAdam, rick murphy and adam woden for coming on the show The Parting Shots podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox. Subscribe today. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Pawnee Shots Podcast is a production of Gazette Newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Pawnee Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports, and stay safe.